You're listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm writer, filmmaker, and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, actress, filmmaker, and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about true crime books and interviewing author and investigative journalist Billy Jensen. But first... What are you reading, Bria? Oh, I just started uh, Space Opera. Oh, nice. The, the, yeah, the Catherine Valente book. Um, I, it's shocking I haven't read this yet because yeah. I'm a fan of hers. And it has to do with space. And it's I mean it's amazing. Big. It's incredible. I just started it. People have described it as like Eurovision in space. So and for someone so I know Nava Wolf talked about uh space opera a little bit on the show that we had her on. And, but Eurovision it's basically like a song contest. Song contest. For in every country like comes up with a song. Uh well, not country, like planet. Oh, I mean in like real life. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I actually don't know much about what Eurovision is either. I was going to say people have been describing it as that, but it means nothing to me because I don't really understand. It's like American Eurovision. Idol, but world idol. Yeah, I guess. But this is like going to be like universe idol. Yes. Yeah. So it's like various weird And the stakes alien... are higher. Yes. The stakes are very high in this book. I don't know how much to give away, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the stakes are very high if you don't win. If you don't, uh, if you're not one of the top people, if you're at the bottom Obviously, things are things go bad for your your planet, um, and it's very cleverly written. It reminds me a little bit of um, of Kurt Vonnegut, like this oh. writing style, because it's very like she's so funny, but it's so dry and silly at the same time. It's like amazing. So uh, when you start reading it, it is like it's it's very like dense but light at the same time. I don't know how to describe it. It's like yeah. the writing style is so fun and it's very clever and funny. So if you're looking for something fun to read, I just was on a long flight. So I was like, time for me to read a space book. And that one's been on my Kindle for a bit. So I'm awesome. excited to crack it open. What are you reading, Mallory? Uh, I just finished a book that I love so, so, so much. It's called The Essex Serpent by Sarah Perry. And this is a really interesting example of a book that I've actually picked up a few times, but it's so, it's a historical novel it's pretty thick and uh it's british uh so it's you know it's very in this like very dry very descriptive british style and it's been a few times over the past six months because i bought it a few i bought it like six months ago and i would pick it up and go yeah not in the right headspace to read about all this shit but then i picked it up uh this week and i was like oh this is this is what i want uh it's about this woman and she's a young widow and her husband her husband's just died but she's kind of happy about it because he was a dick and she goes um she moves she moves out of london to this small town and when she gets there there's this sort of like local town legend called the essex serpent and people think that there's like Loch Ness monster kind of you know, creature living in the river and causing all of the town's woes. And, but she's a huge science nerd and she thinks that it could be some living dinosaur. So she's really excited to be there. And she forms this relationship, this friendship with the local reverend and, um, who thinks it's totally not real at all and just superstition in their sort of relationship. But it's one of those books that's like, it's about that, but it's about a lot of other things. And there's a lot of characters and all about their interpersonal relationships. And it's sort of, it does a really good job of examining the ways that people harm each other hmm. unintentionally. Oh. And it's so, there's a lot of par- parts of this. It's one of those books where you're like yelling at the page and you're like, what are you doing? You're being such a jerk. But it's so, I read the last like two thirds of it in one sitting. It was like, I read like powered through 400 pages of it. It was just so, 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 so good. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, that's The Essex Serpent by Sarah Perry. Uh, and mine is Space Opera by Catherine M. Valente. 
we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Ariel wrote in, I listened to your episode on audiobooks and wanted to share a story. I've been an avid reader since I learned how, and my mom used to try to keep up with me, but she's gotten so busy that she never has time. So whenever I tell her about a good book I think she would like, she always says it sounds good, but she would never have time to read it. I recently introduced her audiobooks, which now which she now listens to on her long commute to work. It's incredible because not only does she read a lot of books now, but it gives us something to talk about. She'll call me to tell me about the great books she just listened to or ask me for recommendations and what she listens to next. She says that sometimes she'll get to work and just sit in the parking lot so she can get to the end of the chapter. I listen to audiobooks occasionally. For me, they are more about having something to do while I walk the dog, but for my mom, they have given her a nice way to start reading again, and I am so grateful for that. It's really nice to see her excited about the same things I am. Smiley Aww, face. Aww. That's such a sweet story. I love it. Uh, Laura wrote in about our gift-giving episode. Bria brought up giving gifts related to books or movies people like, which I think is an awesome idea. Last yeah, it is. Last year, <laughs> one of the books my brother got me was a graphic novel based on my favorite book, Wuthering Heights. There are a lot of classic and popular books with graphic novel versions nowadays, and I think these make great book gifts. We do, too. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. And then Sarah wrote in about our memoir episode. She said, I wanted to tell you a recent memoir story I have. This past spring, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, and I bet you know what I wanted more than anything. A book on going through treatment for lymphoma, of course. I had all of the facts and figures about what kinds of drugs I'd get, what the stats were for each subtype of a subtype of lymphoma, probabilities of each side effect, but none of them told me what it felt like to have cancer. Luckily, I found a book called Bald is Better with Earrings, which is about Andrea Hutton's experience going through breast cancer. It was so helpful to get a sense from her on what I could expect. I was able to ask doctors questions that mattered to me and set realistic expectations for everything from chemo days to emotions surrounding hair loss. My experience ended up being very different from hers, but at least I felt like I was standing on solid ground. P.S. My wheelhouse includes philosophical plot twists, badass girl hackers, mysteries involving conspiracies, animal witnesses, or art heists, analysis of pseudoscientific methods that reveal psychology, and strong intuition solving mysteries of the universe. This is a really, really good wheelhouse. Oh, that is a good wheelhouse. So you, I love badass girl hackers. Yeah. I feel like that's uh, maybe in my wheelhouse as well. I think so, too. And also, that entire, you know, genre has just given a lot of women in film careers. So I do, do like <laughs> badass girl hacker yeah, oh yeah. genre, generally. So you can always email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. And before we talk about true crime books, we're going to take a quick break. Now, I know as a Max Fun listener, you love enamel pins, but guess who were the first people to wear enamel pins? Everyone in Starfleet. We talk about them every week on our show, The Greatest Generation. It's originally about Star Trek The Next Generation. Now we're covering Deep Space Nine. The main thing we're trying to encourage you to do is listen to the show. Listen to the show and know that you are expanding the community of enamel pin-wearing enthusiasts. You can only resist Big Pin for so long. So (laughs) give yourself over to Big Pin and The Greatest Generation by subscribing and downloading right now. The Greatest Generation at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. So this week, it's all about true crime. For a lot of people, this is the scariest genre there is, mainly because all of this terrifying shit actually happened. Despite this, or maybe because of this, true crime is also really popular. Lots of people can't help it. You're fascinated by death and disaster. It's only human. You're not a weirdo. Or maybe you are. But that's okay. Lots of people are. There's a reason why like 5 million people listen to My Favorite Murder. So 
you love watching serial killer documentaries, listening to, to crime podcasts, speculating on the origins of weird stains that you see on the sidewalk, and you want to bring this fascination to your reading life, where do you start? Mallory, what do you think is the first true crime novel? Don't look. It's, I wrote it down on our shared doc. Oh, God. I don't know. Probably some old-timey thing about someone getting stabbed. I don't know. Okay. You, you'll never guess it. But people credit it to <laughs> William Roughhead. Roughhead. Who uh, wrote, Sounds like a guy who would write some true crime. He attended murder trials and wrote about them between the years 1889 Sky, and 1949. Sky knew all about free content. He was all about free content. William Roughhead was ahead of his time. Here's the name of some of his novels, which I found hilarious. The Evil That Men Do. Ooh, good Iron Maiden song. Mainly murder. <laughs> Rogues walk here. Murder and more murder. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but murder. <laughs> murder too, the murdering. <laughs> Keep on murdering. <laughs> the murderer chronicles. Don't stop murdering. Chicken soup for the murderer's soul. Murder, murder for everyone. You get a murder. You get a murder. Murder, 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 murder. He, murder. Uh, clearly did not have a lot of... He was not good at titles, but apparently he was good at writing... He was good at branding. ...true crime stories. Was, William was on brand. <laughs> Bria, what true crime books do you love? Oh, man. True crime really scares me a lot. Um, I do listen to My Favorite Murder, and I think at that point I was like, I guess I do like true crime. Like, I feel like that was like a, um, uh, a coming... Like, not a coming out, like a discovering this thing about yourself. That podcast was really like a discovering moment for me because I was like, I do know about these crimes because I do love them. And I guess I also am like slightly obsessed with like learning about these kinds of things. Um, I generally, when it comes to reading, I read more like supernatural stuff, uh, like in fiction stuff because it's less scary because I know it's not real. And the true life stuff is a little too scary for me. Um, but I did get a call from a friend recently and we have, you know, uh, Billy Jensen on the show, so that's exciting. But uh, about I'll Be Gone in the Dark, that was the last book I read that was true yeah. crime. And he was like, listen, you're going to really like this book. But I got up four times in the middle of the night to make sure that my doors were locked after I read it. And remember, I called you and you were like, should I read this? And I was like, I don't know. It's like real hard to read because you're going to be scared. Yeah, no, when I read I'll Be Gone in the Dark, I drove Alan crazy because we'd be laying in bed and be like, did you lock the door? I know. Why do that anyway? <laughs> Every night I literally... Turn, I turn to John and I go, did you lock the door? Like, I like, I am always worried about that. So this book just, like, amplified that fear. And so I don't know. I, I did just order a new tri- true crime book from the <laughs> library. So I do read them, but it is few and far between. I don't read them, like. You need to space it out a little There are people who, like, that's what they read. Yeah, that's too. I don't know if I, I, I could do every book. That'd be too much for me. Yeah, yeah. What, okay, so what about, do you, lo- how much true crime are you reading then? Uh, I, I do really like true crime. Uh, definitely scares the shit out of me. Uh, but it's so fascinating. I think it's such a human thing to be interested in death and murder and scary stuff. It's just like we can't help but look at it. It's the most taboo thing in the world. Uh, we, you know, uh, besides the ones we've already talked about on the show, uh, After the Eclipse and Fact of a Body. Oh, yeah, Fact of a uh, Body. Uh, uh, some ones I, I recommend um, are People Who Eat Darkness by Richard Lloyd Perry uh, about a Japanese serial killer and an American woman's disappearance in Japan. Uh, also, my tattoo artist, Matt Buck, did that book color, cover illustration. Oh. Uh, I also love Alice Plus Frida Forever by Alexis Coe. Uh, it's the story of a young girl who murdered her girlfriend. I think it's in Louisiana uh, in the turn of the uh, early, some early 19th century um but also what's more interesting is the court proceedings surrounding it because back then they refused to believe in lesbians so they didn't know how to handle her crime <laughs> since they didn't want to believe in her motivation they They're just like, like well, refused to acknowledge that these two women were in love with each other so they were like i don't know how do we and talk about been this 
fighting over their shares of corn. <laughs> <laughs> Give me that corn. <laughs> it's so, so, so good. Um, so, yeah, I think um, I, I love true crime, but I also love a lot of the, like, prece- like I love the procedural part about it. It's not just, like, like I have, sometimes have a hard time, like, reading about the actual crime because it's so intense but like the way that they find killers the way the court proceedings stuff like that is really 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 fascinating to me so using me this article which, which i thought was really fascinating about why people love true crime and i do think we're in like a true crime like hotbed right now a little yeah. bit but i do think do you want to talk about what that article is about? well the article is all about how women in particular really love true crime because it's just confirming the things that we're already afraid of it's almost cathartic to read right and you and i both like horror and people are always like how can you like horror and like i feel like that is like the i like horror because it's a way for me to work through my fears oh yeah like it's a way for me to like deal with like fears like the specific fear of like oh no it's a ghost but also the fear of like what that represents yeah large in a bigger picture like death things like that so and i think true crime is like it's a very like logical like if you're scared of being attacked in the world, as most women are, uh, which is something you just have to deal with all of the time, then reading true crime kind of helps you work through these fears because even though you're reading about the worst thing that could possibly happen, I do think there is like um, a catharsis a catharsis about yeah. it. And and I don't know if it's, I, you know, part of me is like when I'm learning, like I always like say like, well, I'm, I learn a lot from watching horror movies. I know how to escape a person. Of course I don't, really, but, like, in my brain, I feel like I am, like, okay, I'm working through this, and, like, what would I do in this situation? Yeah. And And it feels like you've come out the other side of it. Yeah, and when uh, reading I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is a very scary book, and, like, you know, this guy was, like, showing up in people's homes and, like, waking them up in the middle of the night. There is that thing where I'm, like, what would I do? And, like, how would I work? How would I get through this? Because, you know... Chances are, if you're Protect a woman, the cats. something like, what, 40% of your, 40% of people are going to be, like, attacked in their life. Mm-hmm. It's something crazy. I just threw out that number. I don't know what the number is, but it is very high. So, it's just like, there's just a high chance, so that you have to know kind of what you're going to do. I do think true crime is a good way for us to work through those fears. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And also, so I want to point out, you can be interested in true crime. True crime isn't, it is a genre, is not just about murder and, it, and people getting, like, stabbed and stuff. Yeah. It, like, there's a lot of a lot of crimes, guys. There's, there's a lot so of many crimes. Lots of different crimes you can do. So if you're squeamish and you're not ready to read about murder and death, that's totally understandable. And there are a lot of true crime books out there to get your fix. There's crime books about arson and heists and kidnappings and bank robberies. And you can get what all about that. like embezzlement or something? Uh, that might not be as interesting. <laughs> okay, fair. Fair. <laughs> the, not an interesting the accountant narrowed his eyes as he stood... <laughs> Fixing numbers in the ledger, She's, like she stole a certain stole a certain amount of petty cash from the <laughs> for fifty years, <laughs> and now she's on an island somewhere. Uh, so you get all that interest. I mean, that's pretty cool. A pretty good story, actually. Yeah. You just like I'd I'd read that book. <laughs> <laughs> Sipping a pina colada with all of her sweet and bezeled money. Uh, so you get all that interesting procedural stuff. Um, procedural meaning it's a fictionalized account of police procedures um without the like scary triggering things like i personally have a really hard time reading books about sexual assault which is why uh, i'll be gone in the dark was was a tough one uh so i get it i totally get it if there are things in books that you can't just can't read like that doesn't make you a weak person it doesn't make you a fragile person it just like 
you know, you just know, know yourself. Um, so there's no shame there. And I really, if you're interested in reading a true crime book without that stuff, I really recommend American Fire by Monica Hess. Came out a couple of years ago and it's a story about a string. And I, but like string, I'm talking about like over 50 different arsons that terrorize the small town in Virginia oh. and the crazy love story that's involved in it. Oh. It's amazing. Oh, that's really cool. And it's such a fascinating procedural and nobody gets murdered. Oh, there you go. Murder free. So murder free true crime. Yeah. It's like it's like a sugar-free soda. You're not going to miss or it. Or a gluten-free muffin made by Bria. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there should be a true crime section, and it's like there's the murder shelf and there's the non-murder murder shelf. Murder-free. Murder-free shelf for those who don't want the murders. Yeah, but, you know, you get to, like, so you can get all that, like, really fascinating, I can't look away kind of idea without being wanting to check the locks every night. Yeah, and I I think like th- yeah, like you can have like like stole like someone who like pretends to be someone else for fifty years like that's a great f- true crime story like things yeah. like that. There are other crimes that are not necessarily like so dark. Yeah, but I think there should be stickers. Like I think true crime books should be color coded. No, I kind of agree. I mean, I I will say like people have to like recommend a true crime book to me for me to read it because I. It's gonna have to be good. I just want—I don't want to read just some crazy book about a bunch of like rapes and murders. Yeah, that and that's really the thing is like the the for me, like I said before, the uh, the draw here is like the really cool story and the cre- like what happened around it. So it can't just be like a litany of of like terrible acts. I don't think that's great writing, and that those books don't really do it for me. Yeah, like I remember a few years ago that um, there was some controversy that because people brought up that maybe books should have trigger warning on the front mm. and a lot of people including myself being a, a fucking asshole I was like oh why would people need that and then i stopped and be like wait a minute no that would be kind of it would be just like a movie just like warning yeah because you know like in the i love in movies it's like the art like you nudity. know say like nudity or there was one i saw it was like western related violence and i was like that's funny like because it was a western movie and it was like so western, western violence like western people or like cowboys it was like cowboys like shooting them up guns with like spurs and stuff. I don't know. I like when they get really specific about the kind of nudity. It's like Ooh. frontal male nudity. Oh, and you're like in. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the more of that, please. More of that. Like, I just love that. It's like imagine someone out there who's like specifically will not watch one type of nudity. Like no butts. Yeah. <laughs> no rear Fronts nudity. Only, please. <laughs> I don't want to see. Don't a turn around. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see a single butt. <laughs> Take that. Get that butt. Just chop it right off. Uh, oh no! Can See, you that chop could, that a would butt be off? A, that'd be a, a chopping off butts. That'd be really good. Like oh, true crime, a butt stealer. <laughs> there is that, and it's probably very sad. We're making fun of it, and it's probably horrible. Um, I do think that I'm for this trigger warnings on top on a book. Yeah, I, I totally am. Because you know what? There's nothing crazier than you're reading like a fiction book and all of a sudden you're like, oh no, there's a rape happening and I wasn't prepared. Oh yeah. Especially like you think you're reading, you know, I read a lot of YA and you're like, it's just going to be some YA book. But no, it gets, that shit gets dark. Yeah. And sometimes like, I mean, for me, it's like the total spectrum. There's um like, I want to know if there's a snake in a book. It's like for me, snakes are like dog. No, like, I'm gonna argue against that. I don't think that there should be trigger warnings for snakes. I okay, that's what I'm saying. There's a spectrum. <laughs> snakes, snakes are on one end of the spectrum, but then on the we, my Alan and I were watching this uh, TV show the other day. By the other day, it was probably like a month ago. I have no concept of time. Uh, but there was an attempted rape scene, and all of a sudden, like I started having a panic attack. Yeah, and I wish I would have known. Yeah, in the episode. So don't be a jerk and make fun of people. Like, oh, you're so easily triggered. Like this is a real thing for a lot of trauma survivors, pe- like people with PTSD. And so I, uh, you know, like 
I totally get it if you never want to read true crime, but I think that if you do, true crime should have little stickers, little color code stickers. Yeah, I'm with it. I'm for, I'm for that. Murder all stickers. Books. All I'm, books. Yeah, all books need murder stickers. So you, you can send your thoughts on true crime to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. And before we talk to author and investigative journalist Billy who, Jensen. Who wrote fucking, who co-wrote. I'll be gone in the dark. I'll be gone in the dark. We're going to take a quick break. Hello, I'm Ross Blotcher. And I'm Carrie Poppy. We're hosts of MaximumFun.org's Ono, Ross, and Carrie. We wanted to tell you the good news that our podcast is now weekly. Yes, weekly. On Ono, Ross, and Carrie, we don't make extraordinary claims. We investigate them. We go undercover with fringe religious groups, investigate paranormal claims, and participate in pseudoscientific medical treatments, and then report our findings to you. In a time where alternative facts reign supreme, we cut through murky spin to give you the straight skinny on topics like UFOs, the anti vaccination movement, Scientology, and even apocalyptic churches. We're even undercover for some very exciting investigations right now. Well, not right now, right now. That's Ono, Ross, and Carrie with new episodes every week at MaximumFun.org. We show up so you don't have to. Okay, so here we are with investigative crime journalist Billy Jensen. Billy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. What are you reading right now? I'm reading Bad Blood right now, uh, which is excellent. Have you guys had a look at Bad Blood yet? No, um, what is it? It is about the um, company called Theranos, which was a multi billion, evaluated a multi billion dollars that said that they could uh, identify uh, if you had 200 different diseases from a single pinprick of blood. And it turns out that it was all kind of a sham. And it's by uh, Wall Street Journal's John, uh, I think his name is Car- Carrie Rue. And um, it's, it's fascinating. They had a very, uh, the founder was a very um, charismatic woman. I think they called her the first uh, self-made or, or the or the, the first self-made billionaire, youngest self-made billionaire ever. I think that's what they called her, and um, she had these this board of directors that had George Schultz in it and uh, Mad Dog Mattis, like all of these older men that were from the State Department. It was very very bizarre, and there's a lot of intrigue in it. You wouldn't think that something that sounds like Silicon Valley, and it, it's not something even that I would pick up. My wife was just reading it, and I just got completely enthralled with it. It's really good. That sounds really good. That sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your work? Like, what is the process of getting into a case? What makes you choose one? How do you start? What, how do you do all that? Sure. Well, it depends. I mean, it, it, I only do unsolved murders or missing persons. So if it's something that has already been told or has already been solved, I don't do it. And that's the reason why I, I didn't become a crime reporter. You know, I learned very early on in, in my journalism career that I don't want to do that. I don't want to just tell a story that's already been solved. So uh, I went off and became an editor and I edited newspapers and things so I could pick my own stories. And the way I did it was, uh, you know, I had to find a story that was, uh, if, it, if I was writing a feature on it, it had to be um, compelling and it had to have the characters that I would want to talk to because at the end of the day, you're, you're spending a lot of time with these people. So uh, trying, to, trying to figure out what happened. And it's also ones that the police have stopped talking to the families or ones that I gravitated towards, um, which happens a lot. It happens a lot less now, but 
there were a lot back in the day where people would, you know, contact me and they still do just saying the police aren't calling me back, please help. And, you know, those are the two most devastating words you can hear, please help. And those are the, those are the letters that I still get. And, you know, I wish I had more of me that I could write more of the stories or at least, you know, talk about more of the stories because there's so many out there. You know, we've got 200,000 unsolved murders in America since 1980, and we just keep on adding 5,000 every year. Those are crazy numbers. We both just looked at each other. <laughs> like, like that is, that's insane. It, it sounds like third world numbers. You wouldn't think that. If you, if you were to go up to anybody on the street and ask them, is it easier to get away with murder now or in 1960? They would all say, oh, wow, it had to be 1960 because, you know, they didn't have DNA then. And, and you know, the police are, are a lot more well equipped to deal with with finding out who killed you. And that's not the case. The clearance rate, which just means an arrest, they arrested somebody for the murder. The clearance rate in 1960 was 90%. Right now it's hovering around 63%. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, obviously, um, drugs, gangs, um, there's a lot more uh, people that move around and don't uh, know each other in different areas. So that that is an issue. Uh, back then, you had a lot of people that that would also tell the police when something bad happened. And unfortunately, we've had this snitches get stitches culture where nobody wants to tell the police. So you, know, you got a lot of reasons why we have such a poor uh, record now of solving crimes. But you look at and also obviously the biggest thing is guns and how many guns there are. You, know, you look at Europe and, you know, they're looking at 90 percent still for their uh, their murder clearance rates. And we're just so far behind. So are there any cases that you started investigating and then you stopped or any cases that you really want to investigate? Yes. I mean, there were cases that I've investigated where the family, I couldn't tell the story because I was learning things about the victim that the family didn't want me to know. And um, I I can be vague vague about it, but the, the woman who was murdered turns out that she was a sex worker. And that is a big part of any story because if you're a sex worker, you literally have a thousand times more chance of being murdered than, than somebody that has a job that isn't a sex worker. You're putting yourselves in self in harm's way. You are, you know, getting into somebody's car. It's just bad. And, um, the, so as I was reporting it, I was finding out these things and she said, well, I don't want you to tell the story. So I just walked away from it. I had it all written and everything. Um, but, uh, I just walked away with it and didn't even take a kill fee or anything. I just said, all right, I won't do it because I don't want to put this woman through that. So that was one of them. Um, I still look, I, I, you know, no story ever really um, dies with me. I always look out for them. And I've got so many stories that I've written and so many stories that I've tried to help with uh, that are out there that I still check in and still call up the police departments and try to find out what's going on. But that's one that comes to mind. As far as I think you, you also asked what stories would I want to do? I mean, there's there's just so many of them. I mean, right now I'm involved as far as notable stories go in the Allenstown four. That's a big case that I've been working on for a while and we've gotten some answers. Are you guys familiar with that case? No, I don't think so. Do you know? Okay. So in nineteen eighty five, these two hunters were walking in a state park called Bearbrook State Park in Allenstown, New Hampshire, and they came upon a barrel, and inside the barrel was the remains of two females. 
It was a woman and a little girl. And nobody knew who they were, but they knew that they were murdered. Two, you know, 15 years later, and they never found out who did it. 15 years later, a cop was walking in the same woods, saw another barrel, kind of kicked it to see if it was full. And it turns out there were two other bodies inside it. And it was two little girls. So you had a woman and three little girls, almost a full family. And nobody had claimed them. Nobody, you know, they went through all the missing persons reports, all the school records, everything. And they were constantly trying to figure out who these girls were. And they couldn't. And obviously, more importantly, who killed them. And we got the answers through a, a myriad of circumstances of who killed them. And um, it's a really fascinating tale. I'm actually talking about it in the book I'm writing right now. Uh, we, so it's, it's one of those strange situations where we know who killed them, but we still don't know their names. We still don't know the identity of the victims. So that's one of them that I'm working on right now. I'm working on with one of the detective to also, one of the detectives to try and figure out who else he killed. And we've got a couple of possibles that were that are still unidentified that we're going to be running familial dna on and trying to figure out who else he killed so i've got that one going on and of course um golden state killer trying to find out who else he might have attacked and uh because i'm sure there the list is going to be more than that 50 50 rapes and uh 12 or 13 murders that he's on that's on him right now so speaking of can you tell us a little bit about your most recent book uh, i'll be gone in the dark Sure. Well, it's definitely not my book. It was Michelle's book. But, uh, you know, Michelle, I was friends with Michelle McNamara and we would talk every, you know, um, we would go out to lunch every month or so and talk about my cases. And she would talk about Golden State Killer. And she was working on this book and, you know, she passed away suddenly and unexpectedly. And the first thing I thought of was the Golden State Killer uh, when I heard. And obviously I was devastated, but I was thinking, like, did this guy win? I was the first thing that kept going in my head was, did this guy win? And I said, um, I said, I'll do anything I can. I told Patton, her, her husband, I'll do anything I can to help finish this book. Um, so uh, I worked on it with her researcher and she had written a lot of chapters. She did not write them. She did not write the book linearly. She sort of wrote it, wrote it in chunks. So we kind of put it together. And also she had uh, through her notes, you know, she had a lot of chapters that were already done and the words, it's 99.9% her words. It's just a matter of putting them in the right order and putting them in the places and trying to figure out what the narrative would be. And, uh, then myself and, and Paul Haynes, her researcher, we wrote a chapter together, um, uh, or a section together, the, the third section. And, uh, you know, she had left us this kind of coda, which was called letter to the old man that where she speaks directly to the killer, which was fascinating. And when I saw that, you know, as we, as I was going through all of her, her notes and chapters and writings, I saw that and it was, I got, I got goosebumps, you know, just, it was so powerful. And quite frankly, I couldn't write, I couldn't write for like six months after I, I read that and was reading the whole book because she was just so good. She was such a good writer. And also she was so good at getting people to tell her things. Um, law enforcement that wasn't opening up and weren't even telling each other stuff. She was, she got them together and was saying, listen, I'm going to buy you guys lunch and you guys are going to tell me stuff and you guys are going to talk together and we're going to try to solve this thing. And, um, you know, the book came out in late February and it, you know, the the bittersweet moment, first bittersweet moment was when it went to number one on the New York Times bestseller list and she wasn't there to see it. 
And it was there for a while. And then obviously the other real bittersweet moment, which was great and which was the number one thing that she wanted was that they identified uh, who he was. Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. I think we both read the book by that time. And it was, I feel like, I feel like everyone who read the book, it was a moment where we all were just sort of like, so relieved but for some reason felt like we had a part of it like we were all Mm -hmm. so involved in the case at that point because of the book yeah it it was that was really an amazing moment obviously you know due and due to the book you know yeah incredible yeah i mean it was because it was because you know nobody obviously she named the golden state killer she gave him that name um but you know the resources it was unfortunately it was her death that really brought him an international attention and then resources were were added to the case based on that and it was her partner you know paul holes who was her you know who who would say who would call her his partner in this uh was able to use familial dna and uh, whole genome familial dna you know we were going with just the y chromosome uh to get nerdy, but um, he used the whole genome DNA and was able to use familial through GEDmatch and then found a third cousin and then, then took it from there. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. So, Billy, can you tell us a little bit about your reading life? Do you have any uh, weird reading quirks you want to share? <sighs> yeah, I have a hard time reading fiction because I, I you know, I'll, obviously I'll watch movies and I'll watch fictional TV shows, but reading fiction is still, you know, and I was thinking about this today that we are, we really turn reading into a chore, um, in schools for kids. And it would definitely felt like a chore for me because of those books that they were having me read that really meant nothing to me. And like my Antonia really did not speak to me, you know, um, it just didn't or the good earth, um, you know, and, reading became a, a chore and then reading became obviously, you know, I, I've gotten better at it uh, in terms of the way I, I like to read, but I always just gravitated towards nonfiction because it would help in what I do. So it would either be reading a lot of true crime and um, opening it up to, to other parts uh, or, or, you know, comedy books or something, but it was always along those lines of, of not reading fiction. Now there were, there were definitely some fiction books that I have read. I, devour the Harry Potter books. And I thought they were amazing. Um, and I have read, I'm a big Star Wars nerd. So I have read some of the um, good and bad extended universe uh, books from the Star Wars series. But, uh, but that's kind of one of the quirks for me is that and, uh, um, you know, if it's a if it's a good sort of historical uh, fiction that's that has real people in it, like the alienist, I remember really enjoying that book by Caleb Carr. Or, um, you know, Devil in the White City, which is, you know, he takes liberties, but um, it is sort of a true story. So uh, that's one of my, I guess you can call that a quirk, is that I just always gravitate towards, you know, it's hard for me to get into a fiction book. Um, I I hope that will change as I, uh, you know, maybe when I retire, I'll never retire, but I don't know. It's just, it's something that, it's something that uh, I just have never been able, been comfortable with. I'm always... Whenever I would start a fiction book, I'd always be like, I really should be doing something that is going to help solve a crime or something. So that's been that's one of the, the hard things. Um, also, I've really been getting into audiobooks, and it's not even so much now that I that I have a long commute, which is where a lot of people do read their listen to their audiobooks. My commute is is like ten minutes now, but uh, I have an Audible subscription, and and um, you know, every month that's really, I find myself doing that. And even, even Michelle's book, obviously I had read it a million times, but I wanted to see 
or hear how it, it came out. And the, the reader did a, um, did a fantastic job on it. And I listened to the whole book, um, you know, like that. And I'm actually, that's one of the things that I'm, that I'm really into. So that's actually why, you know, you guys might be getting a scoop here, but yeah, my book is going to be an audible original. So, and ah, it made sense. Congratulations. Thank you. And it made sense, not only for the fact of, uh, you know, the bid was the highest, but also it's like, this is, you know, crime obviously is really big. Um, Michelle's book is doing amazing. It might even be selling more in audible than it, or in audio form than it is in print form. And, you know, everybody likes to listen to crime and also, you know, the way my book is structured, I'm not taking just one case. So you, so nobody can really get lost in it. Um, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's a story of me and it's about, about, you know, wh- how I, I would work on crimes before I figured out how to solve them which is another thing that we haven't talked about yet, but, and then, and also, you know, how I learned about all these crimes when I was a kid from my dad, who was an ex-con and was a great guy and was my best friend. And, and um, so we, that sort of weaved in and out of it almost as, as in a, like a Dexter's dad type of thing, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not going out and killing people, but uh, he, um, uh, he definitely taught me a lot about crime and it was very much um, a part of my household, you know, growing up on Long Island, which Long Island in the eighties was like Florida is now. I mean, there were so many crazy things that were going on in the eighties on Long Island. So, uh, and then, you know, one of the things that I, I did actually after Michelle died is that I came up with a, um, a system and an algorithm to use social media and geo-targeted social media posts to solve crimes. And, uh, I've solved, you know, about 10 so far. And these are crimes that you don't really see. You don't really hear about cause they're street crimes. And you've solved 10 you know, crimes since Michelle died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And they're not, they're not crimes that anybody would ever do a TV show on even my own, you know, when I was on crime watch daily, we wouldn't do it. You know, it was just something that wasn't really, um, it was just a street crime when you say just a street crime, I hate that, but it's, you know, there was no, no, nobody was pretty in it. It was two, two guys and somebody shot somebody, but uh, you know, there is a, I figured out a way because, you know, my day job, which is, I turned into a sort of a digital executive and I know how to get eyeballs to stuff and knowing how fragmented media is now, it used to be that if you put somebody's, if you put a picture of somebody killing somebody else on television and you only had three networks and, you know, a newspaper that everybody read, there's a good chance people would see it. Now people have cut the cord. People don't read newspapers. No one's going to see it, but they're all on Facebook and they're all on Twitter and they're all on Instagram. So I use all those to, you know, get the, that message out there and get that video out there. And I also write the campaigns in ways that don't sound like a cop. They just sound like, you know, I got to grab somebody's attention while they're in the middle of looking at, you know, people pissed off about Trump or looking at their nephews, pictures of their babies and cat videos. And you got to grab the people. And uh, that's what I've been able to do. So that's that's what the book is about. What is it? What is it called? And when does it come out? Tell us everything. Uh, The book is called Chase Darkness with me. And it will come out sometime next year. I'm not quite sure when, but uh, I'll tell you this right now that it's almost done. That's exciting. <laughs> but it's just a matter. Yeah. So it'll be out. Um, it'll be an Audible original for the first four months, and then you can buy it in print. Oh, this um, is a question. Are you doing the voice for the for the? Yeah. Oh, very cool. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting too, because it is an Audible original, and and I've always done this whenever I would write my long features. I would always kind of read them out loud to myself, uh, but you really, 
get a sense of what people are going to be listening to when you know, like, all right, this is what they're paying me for. This is going to be an audio book. People are going to be listening to this. And you, I'm writing it differently, um, not crazy differently, but definitely as I'm rereading it now and reading it out loud, uh, there, are, there are definitely places that I'm just like, that doesn't sound like something that I would say in normal conversation. And the way that I, I have always told my writers uh, when I was an editor, I would always say, whenever they would come back, you know, you have writers would always say like, oh, what, what do I, what do I, how do I start this article? And I say, if you were at a bar and you were telling somebody what, where you just went, what's the first thing that you would tell them? Um, and then that, so that's your lead right there. And then you get into your nut graph and then you tell the rest of the story. And that was, you know, very much how I want it, how I tell stories is I pretend that I'm in a bar with somebody and I'm just like, All right, check this out, this happened and then lay it out with, with them. And that's how I'm writing this book now. And, uh, I, you know, I think it sounds pretty good so far. Um, I don't know if we're going to be able to add sound effects or lasers or anything, but I'll be up for that if, if they want to do that. You know, I do like the old kind of theater of the mind uh, type of um, old radio dramas like Dragnet. I listen to that a lot. And um, it's kind of, uh, I like the fact that people, you know, and it's such an intimate thing, audio. I mean, a lot of people are probably listening to this right now on headphones and, you know, it's, there, there's three people inside your head right now telling you a story, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's so exciting. Congratulations on the book. You'll have to come back when you, when Thank it comes you. out and talk to us about Ab- the whole process. Absolutely. Yes. So Billy, where can we find you online and like get, you know, so fans can be there when this stuff comes out and hear more about your work? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at, at Billy Jensen, B-I-L-L-Y-J-E-N-S-E-N. And um, I've got a you know, all my stuff is Billy Jensen. So if you go on billyjensen.com, you can read, you can read old stories that I've written and uh, newer stories that I've written and some, you know, videos and crimes that I've worked on. So it's, it's all out there. You just do a search for Billy Jensen and uh, stuff will come up. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you guys. I really do appreciate it. Now it's time to answer a bookish question from one of our listeners. Charlotte writes in, what are your thoughts on classifying something as horror versus thriller? Supernatural gore versus crime slash mystery slash suspense. This is like such a contentious topic. Oh man, it is. And I thought about it a lot. And um, it's all made up. Okay, it is all made up. But do you want to hear my theories? (laughs) Yes. Okay, thrillers. Those have to have mystery to them. Okay, I Mm -hmm. think thrillers have to have a mystery. Right, it's not right? just murder. It's like, someone who is being did chased. The, who did the murder? Who is chasing you? <laughs> who is chasing you? We don't know. It's a mystery. A mystery, but a mystery is less dangerous than a thriller. So a thriller has a mystery. A thriller is a mystery. So a, well, a thriller okay. is always a mystery. A mystery is not always yeah, a thriller. Yeah, a mystery can be just like, oh, who stole this book from Mallory's library? A dead fucking person. <laughs> That's <laughs> who. And it ends up being like the cat. That's a, That can be a mystery. That happened recently. A cat stole a book? It just knocked it off the shelf but into Alan's photo gear, and I thought someone had taken it. You know what? Someone, I couldn't find my muffin tins this morning. So <laughs> Maybe Malachi took <laughs> those muffin tins. <laughs> um, so, okay. That's a thriller. That's a mystery. Suspense. That's somewhere in between, I think. A thriller and a mystery. I actually have no idea about this. Um, So that's as far as I got in classifying 
That's as far. That's as far as I got. How do what? How do you define these? Well, I would like to point out that remember, guys, like most of the time, all of these terms are just for marketing. Uh, if you read Paperback from Hell, Paperbacks from Hell that we talked about on a recent episode by Grady Hendrix, he talks about the history of horror paperbacks, and after there was such a glut of horror paperbacks in the eighties and nineties that like people just stopped. Horror like became a, was a fad and it went out. So when people wanted to write horror books, until very recently, they were um, rebranded as a supernatural thriller. Oh, so that's just a horror book. Yeah, I see. Uh-huh. It, so a it's lot of like the, a... yeah, a lot of the stuff like people, some people don't want to read horror, so they want to like... read supernatural thriller because yeah. they want it to be ghosts plus mystery plus fear. Yeah, that's what a supernatural thriller is. I think. So, but in like you know, maybe someone did, doesn't want to read a thriller because they think it's too common, so they want a suspense book. Like a lot of this stuff barely has any any sort of differentiation between it. It's really book to book. Uh, I I think a lot of it is a question of personal taste. Like for for me, horror is a genre, but it's also an emotion. It's like a goal for a writer. So I consider a lot of thrillers to be also horror if they're meant to like scare you a little bit. Mm. Uh, like a lot of supernatural books are. Supernatural horror books are easily classified as horror, but if there's no supernatural element, a thriller can sometimes go either way. And some, like, also on the other end, like books like the Jim Butcher series, Mm -hmm. those are horrible. They have horror elements. They have like werewolves and shit, but they're not scary. They're mystery books. Yeah, yeah. So uh, sometimes it all comes down to the marketing strategy for a public, a particular publisher has for a book. There's a book that I love called uh, We Eat Our Own by Kia Wilson, mm-hmm. and nothing supernatural happens in it. But I consider it a horror because it's a horrifying book and it's meant to like, – Kia Wilson's trying to scare you a little bit. But there's a lot of books that, like, have scary elements like murder and death, like true crime. Are those horror? No. But the crux of the book, you know, is different. So I think most thrillers can go either way. I think it's all about the emotion that it elicits. Is it like intrigue? Do you want to know who did the like? Is it who did the murdering? Or oh dear God, someone did the murdering. I'm gonna hide under my bed. Okay, so the first one's thriller. The second one's horror. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of with you about that. But I think that I, honestly, I do really rely on. I asked when I read this. I asked a lot of people what they thought the difference was, and people had all different because that's really and the scary part about it. The scary part about horror yeah. books is that I actually think the authors probably don't have much to do with the deciding they of, don't. on that, like they making those decisions. Don't. Who did the deciding on who, where this book goes? Um, and that has to be very scary for them because, like, they think it they're is. writing a thriller and it's like, oh, no, this is a fucking horror book. Yeah. Or whatever. Or, you know, like, and also, like, all those horror, right? Like, um, Paul Tremblay, one of his first, his first, uh, the first book of his that I read, Head, Head Full of Ghosts, is a fucking horror book. But a lot of people marketed it. I think William Morrow, William Morrow, which is the publisher, marketed it as a um, supernatural thriller. Mm-hmm. But it just means horror. There is a mystery, though, which yeah. I think makes it a thriller. So, like, it just sort of, like, it all depends on marketing. Like, my book, I am watching it on the Amazon charts. And, like, some, it's, like, my publisher put it in different categories. And some of those, I'm like, I don't know if I chose that. Like, yeah, isn't that Humor weird? book? I mean, some of the things, that, like, I wrote are kind of funny. But, you know, it's just sort of how the publisher wants to market the book. It's how however they think they're going to get the most readers. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all, you know, it's all fucking made up. Yeah, so Charlotte, I think you can uh just you know, go with God. You can you can you can do whatever you <laughs> or want. Satan. Go with God and or Satan. If you if it's Both, a whatever book. you whoever floats your boat. Yeah. <laughs> and and you can you can describe a book how you would like to describe it. Yeah, I it's all about like again, there's some I have such a high tolerance for scary books that some books that some people would consider horror. I only consider a thriller. Yeah. Because it doesn't scare me. Yeah. So it's all, 
It's your own personal taste, yeah, Charlotte. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, if you want to solve your reader problem or answer your reader question, you can send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. And as always, we want to thank Danielle, who runs our Facebook group, and Chrissy and Rachel, who moderate our Goodreads page. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's really great for us and helps us reach more readers. And Reading Glasses is also pleased to offer interactive transcripts of the show through Greta. Go to g-r-e-t-t-a dot com slash reading underscore glasses to read and turn your favorite Reading Glasses moments into clips that you can share out on social media. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast on Instagram at Reading Glasses Podcast and you can always follow along on our bookish adventures using the general hashtag Reading Glasses Podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks thanks for reading. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.